Take your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 1, verses 12 through 26, is where we will be this morning. Acts chapter 1, verses 12 through 26. You know, that, that song that we sang, that's, that, that's the whole purpose of, of why we're here. Uh, whatever passage I'm preaching, whatever we're studying in Sunday school, it all goes back to Jesus and the cross and, and the blood that was shed and the washing away of our sins. That's the message every Sunday, uh, though we may uh, come at it from a different angle. And this morning we're coming at it from the angle of Acts as we continue, well, continue, we're just really beginning our, our uh trek through Acts, uh, finishing up chapter 1 this morning, kind of the introductory material telling us how the early church got started. And that's our focus, right? Uh, living called out, uh, the, the first church, uh, the called out church in Acts is our, uh, our focus for a few months now. How many of you sail? And I'm not talking about, how, are you in sails? I'm talking about boats. Anybody? You got this nice lake over here, and nobody in here sails. Jim, did I see you raise your hand halfway? No? Oh, he was, okay, talking about something else. Um, I didn't mean to call him out there. I thought he really raised his hand. Nobody in here sails. You do, Donald? Good. I think I saw a hand back there. I see that hand. This isn't an invitation. I'm not. Not. <laughs> we, uh, well, I have a friend in, in Florida who uh, sails, and he has one of these little I think they're called a catamaran. It's two tube thingies with a sail in the middle. I don't, I don't understand it. I don't get it. But I was looking this week, and I just I Googled prepare a sailboat for sailing, and I found a checklist of everything that you would have to do or what this person, this guy who sails all the time, recommends to prepare for sailing for the, the, the season. The sailing season for spring is what it was. This is just a checklist for preparing the mast and rigging. All right, look, look, look through some of these. I mean, this is a, a foreign language to me. Check mast and spreaders for corrosion or damage. Inspect spreader boots and shrouds. Inspect rivets and screw connections for corrosion. Check reefing points and reefing gear. Clean sail track. Check rigging turnbuckles and clevis pins for wear and corrosion. Inspect stays for fraying and fish hooks, check forestay and backstay connections, check masthead fitting and pulleys, check and lubricate roller furling, uh, check halyards and consider replacing or swapping in for end tape, turnbuckles, cotter pins, and spreaders. I don't have a clue. All that is completely foreign to me. If you've never sailed, you're like me though, you've watched the movies, maybe uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, uh, that series, or if you're a little older, you go back to Errol Flynn and... Uh, some of those movies, Horatio Hornblower and uh, the, the, the swashbuckling pirate movies of the 40s and 50s. And, and you see them working and pulling all those ropes and doing all this stuff, and I would just, I would lose limbs. I mean, that's, that's the honest truth. I would not have hands, I would not have feet if I tried it. This list for just, this, this was just mast and rigging. Uh, there were over a hundred items that this fellow recommend, recommended you, for your checklist. Um, but think with me for just a moment about the sailboat. We, we could check all of that and do all the things that he said, and we can push that boat out on the water, and it can be beautiful, and the sail can be raised, and, and everything just right. But what do you have to have? Wind. Now, here lately, that would not be a problem on, uh, on, on Lake Charles. Uh, we've had plenty of wind. But you've got to have the wind. Sailboat is no good without the wind. Uh, a little boy uh, asked his grandpa, he said, Grandpa, what is the wind? And the wise, very wise grandpa said, Man, I can't, I can't explain to you what the wind is, but I can teach you to raise the sails. Well, just like a sailboat must have the wind, the church must have the wind of the Holy Spirit. We have to have the Holy Spirit filling our sails and pushing us along. And as the grandpa said he could teach his grandson to raise the sail, Acts is what teaches the church to raise our sails. We look to Acts and we see 
what they did to raise their sails to catch the Holy Spirit. And that's what we're going to be looking at for the next few months as we move through Acts, particularly here in the first six or so chapters when they were getting started in Jerusalem. In this particular passage, though, in verses 12 through 26, Acts teaches us how to raise our sails in four ways or four checkpoints, a, a, a list, checklist with four uh, things we need to look at. Unity, prayer, scripture, and preparation. Those are the four things we'll be looking at from Acts 12, 1, 12 through 26. Read that with me there. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called the Mount of Olives, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. When they arrived, they went to the room upstairs where they were staying. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas, the son of James. All these were continually united in prayer along with the women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. During these days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The number of people who were together was about 120 and said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled that the Holy Spirit through the mouth of David spoke in advance, advance about Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was one of our number and was allotted a share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field and hit with his unrighteous wages. He fell head first and burst open in the middle and all his insides spilled out. Sorry if you have a weak stomach. This became known to all the residents of Jerusalem so that in their own language that field is called Hakeldama, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his dwelling become desolate, let no one live in it, and let someone else take his position. Therefore, from among the men who have accompanied us during the whole time the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day he was taken up from us, from among these it is necessary that one become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they proposed two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed, you, Lord, know the hearts of all. Show which of these two you have chosen to take the place in this apostolic service that Judas left to go to his own place. Then they cast lots for them, and the lot fell to Matthias. So he was numbered with the eleven apostles. So unity, prayer, scripture, and preparation is what we'll be looking at today. The first term we're looking at, the first example, the first uh, uh, bullet point off of our checklist is unity. Verses 12 through 14 cover that unity. They returned, they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, which is near Jerusalem. When they arrived, they went to the room upstairs where they were staying. Then they list all the disciples, and not just the disciples. It says they were all continual, or they all were continually united in prayer, along with the women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. We're going to find out. There's a good 120 folks up there. Good 120 folks meeting together. In this time of uncertainty, in this time where, okay, confusing enough that they didn't remember whatever, that Jesus said he was going to rise again. So they've gone through that emotion, and lo and behold, he's back. And for 40 days, he came and went. He showed up, and he taught for a while, and then just as quickly as he was there, he was gone. Over and over and over for 40 days until the last day when really just maybe the same day or just a day or two before, they see him for the last time. He goes up in the clouds. The, the clouds gather around him, disappears. They, they know that's God's glory coming around him. That's the cloud. The, the two folks, the, the two men show up as they're standing there, kind of mouths open, uh, what now? And, and the two angels say, what are y'all still here for? He told you what to do. Go, go back to Jerusalem, wait. The same way you saw him leave, he's coming back someday. So now they're going and they're waiting, and they're not given a time period. He, Jesus didn't say in uh, five days, you're gonna, I'm, I'm going to give it. It's just go back and wait, and I'll send you the Holy Spirit. So now in this time of certainty, uncertainty rather, that they came together, and that was all they could do. Number one, it was commanded of them, but number two, what else are they going to do? They have this shared story. They have this shared experience that, that really, if they went out and talked about it, and they don't have the Holy Spirit, so there's no power to their message, but if they went out and talked about it, who's, who's going to 
buy it? Who's going to really understand it? At this point, all they can do is sit around and talk to each other about it. Have you ever ever been in that situation? Maybe you've you've been through some tragedy in your life that that brought you uh, together with people that you wouldn't have normally interacted with. Uh, I, I, I know of a person that that, that happened to where it was a, 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 a tragic accident, an airline kind of thing, and you end up having relationships with these people on the airplane that you would have never had a relationship with otherwise. You'd have gotten on the plane, you'd never even noticed the people, you'd have landed, you'd gone your separate ways, and that'd be it. But now you're connected by this tragedy where lives were lost and, and, and pain was felt. There's a connection there. That's, that's what these people had. Who else are they going to talk to? Sure, you could sit down and tell somebody about, well, I was in a plane crash and this happened and this happened, and that person's going to go, man, that's, wow, that's incredible. How, what in the world? But that's all they can do unless you're talking to somebody who went through it with you. And, and, and you, you, they understand each other. These folks, that was... That's what they were doing. They understood each other. They were talking to each other. There was strength in their number. When, when they, and I don't mean the number 120. I mean the fact that they were all together. They were all uh, joined by this, this, these events, not just the past 40 days, but the past three years and 40 days. Can, I, just, I cannot imagine the, the emotions they were going through at this point. He's, he's finally gone for good, they're thinking, but he's, he, he, he's sending the Holy Spirit. That's coming. What does that even mean? What's that going to look like? How are we even going to even know? Will we know? All these questions, and they could not talk really to anybody else but each other. There was strength among them. This picture that you're going to see is called a castel. Uh, it's what they do in Catalonia. Can you all see that? Can you all see that those are actually people making that tower? Uh, good 100 to 150 folks involved. The bottom level down there reaches out about 10 people deep plus about 8 people in toward the middle. They're all the base holding up this next level of what looks to be, oh, 40, 50 folks. Then another level of about 20 to 25. Then another level of 4, 4, 4, 4, Two, and there's going to be one small child around the, uh, six, seven, eight years old that will climb up on the top level and stand there. And they, yay, that's it. That's what they're doing. It, this happens in Catalonia, northeastern Spain. Barcelona is part of that, uh, that province that it, it's almost its own country, though not quite. They're self-governing, but they're still a part of Spain somehow. Their strength in those numbers, even if they fall... It, it, it's not a comfortable experience to fall, but even if they fall, they know they've got people below them, and they fall fairly often. They've got people below them to catch them. There's, there, there's uh, an ability there that, that would not be able to happen if not for all the people on the base. And then this, the right number of people and the strongest people, usually uh, shorter, stockier people on that first base and the second base and the third base, then you get lighter as you move up. It's, it's a planned thing. There's, there's strength in that number, and that's what the disciples and, and the women and, and, and the first church felt as they gathered in that upper room. There was strength. We're here together. We are here for the same reason. We have a shared experience. We have a shared story so we can come together at this time. There was also unity not just among their, their uh, because of their strength or, or the rather the they didn't just benefit from their strength. They benefited from their differences. Or maybe another way to say that, look at that, is how in the world did they have unity with such differences? Um, remember, these are the same guys that just a year or so before, depending on whose version you read, uh, some of them were fighting over the best seat when uh, Jesus took his throne. As a matter of fact, one version says James and John were discussing it and Jesus overheard it and, uh, uh, or talked to him about it. 
But another version adds the added detail that they got their mama involved. Mama, go talk to Jesus, see if we have the best seat. And the other disciples were looking at them kind of like, why are you going to get the best seat? Well, when I get the best seat, who are y'all to think, James and John, y'all get the best seat? And, and Jesus is having to calm this group down. You've got the tax collector, Matthew, one of the most despised jobs in the country because he's a Jew who works for the Romans to steal their money. And then you've got, on the other end, Simon the Zealot, who is um, a, uh, a guerrilla. Uh, they would have called him a terrorist. The Romans would have called him a terrorist. That's what a zealot was. He fought them underground. So you've got that guy and the guy who worked for the Romans in the same group. And then all sorts in between. Peter with his uh, arrogance, his brashness, his mouth that never stopped and certainly didn't have a filter. And they were all unified. You have these men who at the... Uh, supper table just 42, 43 days before refused to wash each other's feet even though it was customary for someone to wash everybody's feet before the meal they, they kind of stood around looking at the basin and the towel going are you going to do that? Well, I'm not going to do that well it's not my place to do that I'm, I'm, I'm so, you know, but you're going to uh, no, I'm not either because I don't like ooh, feet, you know, I'm not going to touch somebody's feet, you know, that's discussion and then the master, the teacher goes and grabs the bowl, takes off his jacket, ties a towel around his waist, and washes their feet. He's got in this room, it says, Mary and his brothers, the people who thought Jesus was crazy for a couple of years, who, who, who decided, maybe we need to tie him up. We need to go get him, because he's saying things you shouldn't say. Mary, though she treasured it in her heart from early age, was not a follower until later. They, they wondered about this, this brother of theirs who's saying all these crazy things. The family who rejected all, all these people, 120 folks, come together in unity. Unity among differences. Unity that encouraged perseverance. It's hard to stand alone. Be very hard to make that castell with two, three, ten people. Just one stacked on the other. But when they came together and they have to stand there for quite a while. That base begins. They do it quickly. If you ever you can ever Google a, a <coughs> excuse me Google a video of it. I mean they they are rapid in, lay, in in getting those layers up there because they want to get down as quickly as they can for the people on the bottom. But they are able to persevere because the person here has somebody behind him or her standing there helping, and a person behind that one, and a person and a person, so that there is perseverance. They can get through the task because they are together, in, they are unified. They are in unity, or as it might be literally translated, one heart and mind, or one purpose. One heart and mind. Same heartbeat. Same movement. Same goals. Unity. It's what we see in that upper room. Unity in verses 12 through 14. But what do we see them unity in? They were unified in one particular way, or one very important way. They were unified in prayer in verse 14. They were all continually united in prayer, it says. Continually united. That is persistence in prayer. That is a repeated action. This is a verb tense that says it happened over and over and over again. So while we have this record of this one time in the room, it wasn't the first time. They had done this numerous times. Maybe every day they came together and they prayed continually. What were they praying for? I don't know. I don't even know if they knew. At this point, they're praying, Lord, Make sure we know when the Holy Spirit comes. I, I, I would think that's kind of what they're getting at. Lord, you say you're going to send the Holy Spirit. Just, just, just make it obvious. <laughs> Giggle. It's going to be obvious. <laughs> there ain't going to be no question about when the Holy Spirit shows up at that church meeting. But right now, they're, just, they're confused. They're wondering. But they're going to come together, and they're going to constantly seek the Lord. But they're doing it in unity. Right? They are praying together. 
And it doesn't just mean that they're praying together. It means that they have one purpose in their prayer. They're praying for one outcome. That does not mean, I don't believe, that they're praying the same thing. It could be uh, popcorn prayer. You know, this, uh, Peter hops up, and then Mary hops up, and then Mary Magdalene hops up and prays, and then James hops up. You know, it could, something like that. Who knows how it went? Who cares how it went? They were all praying for the same thing. They were seeking Jesus. They were seeking the Holy Spirit. They were waiting. They were, as we're going to see in a minute, what's next? God, what is next? What are you doing? What are you going to do? What are we going to do? How are we going to know what to do it? How to do it? But they remember, they already have the command, Acts 1.8, if you don't remember. You will, imperative future tense, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. And you will, same tense, imperative, future tense, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. They got their marching orders, but they don't have the tickets yet. They don't have their bags packed. They're not sure what they're supposed to take and and what they're supposed to do when they get there. So I'm sure they're praying, God, if, if we will receive the Holy Spirit, make it obvious. And God, if we will be your witnesses, then show us how. Give us the words. Where? Where do we start? Who do we start with? What do we do? Lord, we have this responsibility, but we have no idea what we're doing. And so they pray in unity for one purpose, for one outcome. And, it, and, and we see also that they were dependent in prayer. They knew who they were. They knew that they were unified amongst differences. They knew that James and John had asked for the seat, the good seats. They knew that Peter had denied Jesus three times. They knew that the brothers of Jesus had thought at one point Jesus was crazy, kind of needed to be put away. They knew all this. They knew everybody in there. They knew that some of the people in there used to be prostitutes. They knew that some of the people in there used to be tax collectors. They knew everything about each other. They knew their inadequacies. Peter knew he would fly off at the mouth. The sons of thunder knew they had tempers. They knew who they were. And I think that was what drove them to their knees as much as anything else. Really, Jesus, I'm going to be your witness to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You're going to use me? I'm just a fisherman. I'm just a tax collector. I'm just a terrorist. I'm just a prostitute. And you're going to use me. They were dependent on God to do what they knew they could not. They, they knew their need for guidance because, like I said, they had their orders. But they didn't know how to get there. They didn't know how to even start. So they're praying, God, what do we do next? What's the next step? One of the best uh, pieces of advice I have ever gotten out of a Bible study. And uh, we're going to do this in the fall. We're going to go through experiencing God as a church. Uh, this, come, this coming to fall. And one of the things that Blackaby says in there, and it's just it's something that I have taken to heart. Uh, I've done Experiencing God a number of times. Uh, but one of the, the, one, the, the things that stood out, keep doing the last thing God told you to do until he tells you to do something different. It takes away a lot of the guesswork. Because a lot of the time, we, we, God says, I want you to do this. And we all right, I do it. What's next? And he says, I haven't changed what I told you. Continue to do what I told you. And that's where they are. They're wondering what's next, but yet they know this is where we are, so we're going to continue to pray. That's all we can do. We were told to wait, so we will pray. We need that guidance, and they were going to wait for that guidance. And then ultimately what we're talking about here is they knew their need for the Holy Spirit. They knew they were inadequate to the task. They knew that they didn't know what came next. They, didn't, they knew that they didn't know what they were supposed to do. So they knew, I've got to have the Holy Spirit. We, 
and, and you know, we know Peter, right? We know Peter was chomping at the bit to go to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and all the ends of the earth. Probably had his sword halfway out. And, and Absolutely. Jesus said, we're going to go. Let's go, y'all. We got to go. That was Peter. That's the way he lived his life. But he had to show restraint. He had to know himself and say, Lord, we need this Holy Spirit that you've talked about because we know, I know, Peter would say, I'm inadequate. He, he would say, I remember the night, of your, uh, the night before your crucifixion. I remember the rooster crowing. I remember when you told me you were going to the cross. And I said, over my dead body. And, he sa- and you said, get behind me, Satan. He, re- he knew those words. And so he knew his need for the Holy Spirit. And so they came together in prayer, in persistent prayer, in unified prayer, in dependent prayer to see what God was going to do next. But in the meantime, they turned to Scripture. Verses 15 through 21, Peter recounts how they lost Judas, what happened. And this account varies from how it's described uh, in Uh, I believe Matthew, uh, how he describes it. But the two are uh, uh, meshable, is not a word. Um, There's a word I'm looking for. They they can harmonize. There we go. How about about that one? Uh, One fills in gaps. They are not mutually exclusive. They can be harmonized. We're not going to bother discussing that today. If you'd like to discuss it with me later on, that's fine. But he explains to him, look, this is what happened. And what does he do? What does Peter do immediately? He, he's standing up there, and he's kind of the de facto leader. Just He always has been. It's part of that personality. The, 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 the negative aspects of his personality that can get him in trouble are, can also be positive aspects that, that make him a leader. Uh, Ed has been listening to uh, James McDonald, one of our favorite preachers in, in all the country. And he's been preaching through personality types based on uh, the story of Jacob and uh, talking about how different personality types, while they can be weaknesses if we don't harness them for Christ, if we allow the Holy Spirit to work through us, they can be uh, positives, they can be strengths that he will use. Peter's the same way. That, that, that bullishness, that, that mouth that's nearly uncontrollable, when it is controlled by the Holy Spirit, is incredibly powerful. You have things like they show up before the court, and the court says, wait a minute, these are uneducated men, these are just fishermen, and listen to how they talk. Why? Because Jesus, or the Holy Spirit rather, used that mouth for his glory. No longer Peter using it for his own glory. So, Peter stands up and says, you know, these are, these are all things that have happened. Uh, we know about Judas, but this is fulfillment of Scripture, he says. In this downtime, they go to Scripture and prayer. Let's not leave that out. It began with prayer. Notice that. They pray, and then they go to Scripture. And even though they don't have the Holy Spirit yet, God is still using Scripture to enlighten them. I think sometimes we can get that out of order, and I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing, but I think it's much more helpful to pray and then go to Scripture than to go to Scripture and then pray. Or you can do probably the best thing ever and pray Scripture. That's another message someday. In this downtime, they go to Scripture, and that's where they find their direction. Verse 16, Peter says, It was necessary that the Scripture be fulfilled, that the Holy Spirit through the mouth of David, foretold about Jesus, who, who became a guide to those who arrested him. He explains his death and what happened, and then he goes, verse 20, for it is written in the book of Psalms, let his dwelling become desolate, let no one live in it, and let someone else take his position. They find their direction in Scripture. See, Scripture explains to them where they are. He, he, he says it was through the mouth of David that this prophecy about what happened to Judas was spoken. 
They knew this was going to happen. They didn't know it, but through prayer and through going to Scripture, they realized, oh, all right, it kind of makes sense now. God knew about this from the beginning. It's almost like he's aware of the future. Almost like he has plans to do certain things. Incredible, Peter says. He, he looks at it and, and he says, this is where we are, y'all. That, that first psalm tells us there's an open position in the group. Tells Peter, God knew there would be an open position in our group. See, this was a, a psalm of judgment for Judas and his, his actions uh, effects on the land. What he did, how it messed up uh, that particular field. Now, how is that a prophecy? Well, you, you go back to the psalm, and it's talking about um, let his dwelling become desolate, let no one live in it. This is David's prayer for, uh, for judgment on his enemies. God, take what is theirs and make it useless. And he sees, Peter sees, through the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Now, I know he doesn't have the Holy Spirit yet, but we obviously see that the Holy Spirit works in the Old Testament and up through this time. The Holy Spirit was at work. He just didn't indwell people as he will after Pentecost. That's another sermon to explain those differences, or come talk to me later on. This, this psalm was judgment on the enemy. Take away what's his. Take, a, take it away, do away with it, and uh, let it be desolate. And we see that happening with this field, the money uh, that was paid to Judas bought. That's where they were. He's gone. He's out of the picture. There's this, there's this hole in our group. What are we supposed to do? Peter goes to Scripture. And the next psalm, let someone else take his position. Scripture explains then what to do. The position must be replaced. This is a psalm explaining that Judas has been judged just as the enemies of David had been judged, and therefore they, the disciples, need to replace Judas. Now, there are all sorts of reasons why they would replace Judas. Part of it is what Jesus said about the 12 of them judging the nations someday. And they realize, hold on, 12 minus 1, mm, that's not 12 anymore, so we've got to do something here. Uh, there, there's a reason we had 12, so we need to put somebody else in that position based on these psalms. And it had to be somebody very specific, somebody that had been there since the day John was baptizing up to the resurrection. And apparently there were only two of them that had been in, those, in that position, had been there the whole time. Uh, Matthias and uh, Justice, uh, or uh, whatever his first name was, Joseph. Uh, they were the only two. So there were very specific rules, and, and they, they needed to make the 12th apostle. Now, I'm going to, this is an aside. See how I moved to the side here? There's a reason that when James was martyred, thrown off the temple uh, and, and fell on his knees, but then didn't kill him, they had to go ahead and, and, and wipe him out. There was a reason James was not replaced. Because Judas betrayed him. Jesus, uh, Judas left his place to go to his own place. There were only 12 apostles. So if you're reading a book by Apostle so-and-so, or you're watching Apostle somebody on TV, no, you're not. You're, you're reading a book by so-and-so, and you're watching somebody. But there are no more apostles. There were 12 apostles. And when the 12 apostles died, they didn't make more apostles. They were disciples. and We are grafted into that discipleship, and we are believers, and we are missionaries, but there were, only, there were only 12 apostles. So they knew there had to be 12, but there would never be more than 12. They had to do this because Judas had made a choice to deny his, where he was, or in actuality, it was both his choice and God's plan. There's another sermon, but we can't get away from this is what was planned. He was the son of perdition. God had set him aside for this, and yet he had the choice at any point to not do what he did. Y'all can explain that one to me when you figure it out. They went to Scripture. So what have they done? They've unified, they've prayed, they've gone to Scripture, and now they just sit and wait, right? 
just sit and do nothing. Oh, okay, we're, nope, nope. 21 through 26, they prepare. They're getting ready. Therefore, from among the men who have accompanied us during the whole time, they, they, they propose two, they cast lots for them, they choose them. See, we need to understand here that the command was to wait, but not be idle. They haven't been idle. They've been praying. They've been fellowshipping. They've been coming together. They've been talking about what's been going on. Uh, so they've been in unity. They've been praying. They've been going to Scripture. What does Scripture say? Does Scripture talk about these things that we're going through? Yes, lo and behold, it does. But though they were told to wait, they were not to be idle. Scripture and prayer informed their actions. But wait does not necessarily mean do nothing. You hear me, church? Wait does not necessarily mean do nothing. There are times when we have to wait on the Lord. And there are times when He will say, I believe, don't do anything. Just wait. But I think those are very rare occasions. And there better be some very specific reasons we have for that because Scripture tells us that we always have a job to do, even when we are waiting. When God is preparing a work to do through us, through our church, through us as individuals, we still have responsibilities. That's what they knew. They knew they had something to do. They had to replace Judas. They knew for all the reasons of the twelve, all the apostleship reasons, they had something to do. They knew that because they went to Scripture, and Scripture said, let his dwelling place become desolate. All right, it's Potter's Field. They just bury people there now. It's, it's not any useful for anything because of how it was bought and him dying on it. So he, he, he's done, that's done, but we need to replace him because Scripture says, uh, let his position be replaced. So we've got something to do here, folks. We know the Holy Spirit's coming. We know He's going to do something through us. But in the meantime, while we wait for the Holy Spirit, what does Scripture say? Well, Scripture says when God is preparing a work, we still have responsibilities. And as a church, our responsibility, how do I know this? Because I go to Scripture. Our responsibility is still to be a witness. They went back to Psalms. We go back to Acts 1.8. And we see that we will be his witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Being a witness is always commanded for us. So when you don't know what you're doing yet, you don't know what the next step is, you do the last thing God told you to do. And as a church, the last thing God always told us to do was be witnesses, to share the gospel. When we... We're still in Nixon, and we knew a couple of years before we left that it was, we were preparing to leave. Uh, we knew it was time. Uh, we didn't know when it would be. We thought it would be sooner. I think I've told you all this before. We thought it would be sooner than it was. I could have said, oh, okay, God, you, it's time for me to go. All right, well, I'm not going to do anything while I'm here then. I've I, I got to wait on you, right? Because that's what I heard over and over and over was wait, wait on me, I'll show you, wait. But God, there's a church in Hawaii that would call me right now to be their pastor. I ain't lying, there was a church in Hawaii that would have called me to be their pastor. There were three applicants, the first two dropped out, I was it if I wanted to go. And God said, wait, and one day I'll forgive him for that. It's thundering outside, I better be careful, all right? Um, it's, it's fine, Lord. I, I'm, I'm fine with it. Uh, he said, wait. So I had to wait. And I had to wait for two years. I could have said, I'm not going to do anything because I have to wait. But I knew that wasn't right. I still had a calling on my life as pastor of that church. I still had a calling on my life as a Christian to witness, to live the gospel, to share the gospel. So even though it might be time to wait, that does not mean it's time to be idle. We, we immersed ourselves in Scripture. They immersed themselves in Scripture. They said, it's time to wait, but we're going to Scripture. What does the Bible say? Let's read His Word. What have we missed? What should we be doing now? And that's where they came to their conclusion. If we do that, we always come to the Great Commission, or Acts 1-8, the Acts call, however you want to put it. 
We immerse ourselves in Scripture, and we unify in prayer. That was our prayer in Nixon. It is in my prayer that we would be sure of what the next step was. And there were opportunities here and there throughout those two years, and there were uh, nibbles here and, and full-on bites over there, but there was never a, a, a time, and we were even looking at going to visit a, a church uh, just a couple of months before we heard from the search committee here. And we never felt like God was saying, stop waiting. Even when we were going to visit, we were going to visit, but we were like, eh, I don't know. The, 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 the time, the one time God said, your waiting is over, is when I hung up the phone with the search committee at the first interview. I knew it. I don't know if Lee did or not, and the rest of them, but I knew it. I knew that's where I was going. I knew, I knew this was where I was going. I knew God was saying, the waiting's over, here it is. And then it was just a matter of, well, waiting uh, for it to, to, uh, to actually happen. But we were unified in prayer. We immersed ourselves in Scripture. When God is preparing a work, we have responsibilities. Now, Michael, how does that apply to me? Well, it applies to you personally, just in the same way I described it, uh, described myself to you. I knew it was time to go. I knew God was doing something. I knew there was a next step, but I didn't know what the step was. I didn't know when it was, but I had to prepare myself for it. I had to be ready when the time came. Turned out, part of those two years in Nixon was to continue to prepare me for this position here. I didn't know that at the time. It seems completely obvious to me now, but it always is in hindsight, isn't it? God knew what he was doing, though, and really that's the important part. But it applies to us as a church because y'all sulfur first is in a waiting period. There are, if you've been reading the newsletters, I've been talking about change a lot. I know I'm not supposed to say that word. Right, Sinatra? I can't say that, but I am. Because there will be changes over the years. I've, I've talked to you about the, the, the attendance decline over the 12, 14 years. And if, if we are going to turn, around, turn that around, there has to be more than tweak this and tweak that. There has to be an entire cultural shift in our church because there has been a cultural shift in our culture. That's part of the reason why the decline has occurred. And, and it's, it's, it's pretty bad. So changes will have to happen. But we're not making a lot of those changes or even many of those changes right now. We're waiting for God's timing. We're waiting for what he's going to do. Uh, I will, I'll warn you now. And it's a good warning. It's not a bad warning. So don't everybody go, oh, my goodness, what's he doing now? Um, Tom and Amy are off at uh, the Send North America conference in Dallas. Uh, Etta and I attended that about four years ago, something like that. Um, one of the most transformational conferences I have ever been to. It is a conference about, how did you describe it in Sunday school? I've forgotten now. Living on mission. It's not a missions conference, per se. They talk about missions, but it's much more direct. It's me, it's you, living on mission. And we came back from that thing fired up. And I will tell you right now, Tom and Amy will come back from that conference fired up. If you're on Facebook, you've already seen some of it, uh, seen some of their comments. And they will come back, and they will have a truckload of ideas. And we are going to unpack that truck, and we're going to uh, uh, put, on, put all those ideas in a, in a room. We're going to close the door and lock it. No, we're not going to close the door and lock it. We're going to analyze, we're going to look at them, and we're going to begin to implement those things. Because Tom, one of his responsibilities is outreach, is evangelism. And he is going to come back excited to do that. But right now, we're waiting. Uh, I've talked about before that we're going to have a strategic leadership team that's going to examine everything we do in the church. Everything, right down to color the carpet. No, I'm not. Well, I might. Who knows? But just, you know, just know that everything's going to be looked at. Are we doing the best we can, not for programs, not for uh, the people in here, not to make everybody comfortable, not to have a country club, but are we doing the best we can and the most we can to reach the lost for Jesus? And that's how we're going to adjust everything. 
and turn everything, new opportunities to reach people for the gospel. We're waiting, but we aren't idle. And even while that goes on in the background, we still have the call to pray, to immerse ourselves in Scripture, and to share the gospel. Just like these folks did. They waited, but they waited with purpose. They waited in preparation. That is our opportunity now. We, as a church, are checking the rigging and the masts and the hull and below decks and the bow and everything else. We're working on all the hows to figure out how we can best raise our sail and catch the Holy Spirit as a church and allow that Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, to push us, to lead us, to guide us, to get us to the destination that He has for us. And the destination that the Holy Spirit has for us is not waiting five to ten years for us to die off and close the doors. That is not the destination that we're raising our sails for. We are raising our sails for a fresh wind to blow through here, to grow this boat so that anyone who wants to escape the fires of hell will have a life-saving boat to get on. I'm mixing my metaphors, and that's okay. Paul did it. I can too. We're working on the hows, y'all, but the gospel's still going out. We're not resting on our laurels. We're not waiting to do something. We are doing it now. So if the gospel still goes out, then the message this morning, though we have a responsibility as a church, though we want to do all we can to get our sails raised, to catch the Holy Spirit, we cannot back up from the fact that we still have a message this morning for anyone in this room who may not have trusted Christ, or for anyone listening on TV or on the internet who has not trusted Christ. There's to keep my metaphor going, and maybe it's not a good one, there's a wind that's blowing through you. There's a Holy Spirit work in your heart right now, drawing you to God. That Holy Spirit, you can't come to Jesus without Him. That Holy Spirit is impressing on your heart right now your need for salvation. You're hearing about the gospel and you have no clue what I'm talking about. You're, you're looking at, at this passage in Acts and you're saying, how does this apply to me? Well, right now, without Jesus, it kind of doesn't. Now, this is talking about people who are followers of Jesus. But you can be a follower of Jesus. Believer, you can be a better follower of Jesus. If you've perfected it, come talk to me and tell me how. I'll let you preach next Sunday because you've got it. I don't. I'm just going to tell you the Bible. But if you've figured it out, you get on up here and let us know so we, the rest of us can figure it out too. But if you're not a believer, if you haven't trusted Christ... Then, then none of this really makes sense. And your destination, well, your boat's not going to get you where you want it to go. Let me just put it that way. Your end is, is not a heavenly one. The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's you, me, and everybody else. The Bible says the wages of those sin is death, hell. The, that's, that's where your boat's going. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You have salvation available to you. There is an opportunity for you to transfer boats. The, the wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life. God proved his own love for you in that while you were still a sinner, right now and long before, Christ died for you. And if... if you uh, call the name of the Lord, you will be saved. For, because anybody who believes, anybody who confesses it with their mouth, Jesus is Lord, and anyone who believes in their heart that God has raised him from the dead, they will be saved. It's an understanding of my sinfulness. It's a repentance from my sin. It's a turning from my old life and turning to Jesus and placing my faith and trust in him this morning. Will you do that? Will you trust Christ? Because church, that's what we're about. We're not about children's ministry and youth ministry and family ministry and music ministry and homeless ministry and benevolence ministry and bereavement ministry. and That's not what we're about. Those are tools that we use in order to be about sharing the gospel. That's what we're about. 
And this morning, maybe you've never placed your faith in the gospel in Jesus Christ. You've never experienced the gospel salvation, and you want to do that today. Come and talk to me, either this morning down front after the service. I'll be out by the Connection Center. Let's get that straight this morning. Would you pray with me? Father God, I thank you that you love us. I thank you that you sent your son to save us. I thank you that you gave us a, a checklist, that you gave us a roadmap of how to set our sails and catch the Holy Spirit, the work that you would have us to do, the, the, the way that you would have us to go, the, the plans you have for us as a church. You've not left those secretive. You've not hidden those from us, God. You have a plan. Lord, may we as a church devote ourselves to unity, to prayer, to your scripture, and to preparation. Because this, this, is, this is not where we... That's, this is not what you have for us. This is not the end. This is not... We're not done. You're not done with us. You have great purposes for us, and I pray that we would be, uh, God, we would be waiting, anticipating, just like they were in that upper room, waiting to see what you're going to do. But Lord, as we wait, I pray that you would use us to add to your fellowship, add to your family. And God, if there is someone here this morning who's never trusted Jesus as their Savior, that they would do that today. They would follow, uh, they, they would come to you trust. Give them, give you their lives. Repent of their sins. Turn to you and say, I'm not my own anymore. I'm yours. God, and if there's a believer here who, who knows their, their need to pray more, to be in Scripture more, to trust you more, to Lord, to be in unity with the church, I pray this is a time of, of change for them. May these May this altar be filled with the prayers of your people as they seek you and say, Lord, I, I don't know what's coming next, but I know you have great plans. I know you are doing something incredible in this place, and I want to be a part of that. I want to be used to the, to the fullest extent for your glory. Lord, let that be our prayer this morning. Let someone begin a fresh walk with you or a brand new walk with you as we sing and as we praise you this morning. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So what's your decision this morning? What do you need to do? Maybe you need to accept Christ. Maybe you need to follow in obedience and baptism. You've trusted Christ, but you've never been baptized. Not scripturally baptized as a believer. Maybe you were sprinkled as a kid, or maybe you got baptized, but you never really trusted Christ, and you need to do that as a believer this morning. Maybe you need to lead a life of holiness, recommit your life, return to Him, unify with someone, pray for someone. Maybe you need to respond to a call on your life that you've been really pushing to the side. No, Lord, I can't teach a Sunday school class. No, Lord, I, I can't be a missionary. No, Lord, I, I can't, I can't, but you know he's calling you to do it. You need to deal with that this morning as well. Maybe you have other decisions. Maybe you'd like to join our church. Now's your time to do it. You can uh, come forward, talk to me. You can fill out something on the connection card. We'll connect with you. But let's stand, let's sing, let's do business with God this morning.